What's going on, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Art of Visuals podcast. My name is Prince McClinton, and I am your host. And today's guest is seriously one of the best landscape photographers out there right now. I'm stoked to introduce Washington-based landscape photographer Nick Page to the show. Brother Nick, what is going on? I wish I could just have like that intro everywhere I go. Like walk in a room and have you introduce me. That would be pretty sweet. Dude, I wish I dude, my dream is to like start doing like WW like F style intros. Did you ever watch exactly. wrestling growing up? Oh man? yeah. Dude. I, I, I've joked that like uh someday when I when I <laughs> get married and walk down the aisle. I want to walk out like a WWF wrestler, you know, smoke machines, yeah. the rock, the strobe lights, and, you know, that would be pretty sweet. Dude, it's the, it's dude. It's my <laughs> ultimate life goal. I'm so glad we're on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh, why don't you start us off Nick with just giving the AOV community, uh, for those that don't know a little bit more background on yourself. Uh, so I'm a landscape photographer. I point my, point my camera at pretty things. Uh, I, I used to be kind of like most photographers, probably I used to be more, more of a generalist, but I've slowly weeded out all of the things that I didn't love as much as the other things. And now, uh, the bulk of what I do is I teach workshops, I teach tutorials and I shoot, I still shoot sports a bit just cause it's, it's like one of those side fun things. I get to shoot an NFL game, like, you know, once a year and that's like the highlight of my year. And, uh, but, um, yeah, most people know me from YouTube. I also have a podcast called the landscape photography podcast. Yeah, that's about it. I travel a lot and take a lot of pictures and that's, that's about it. <laughs> Dude, I love it. You travel a lot and you take a lot of epic pictures. And with that said, you kind of have a unique story on how you got into photography in the first place. And I'd love to yeah. hear a little bit more about that. <clears throat> yeah. So, um, unlike some people. I I was actually working my blue collar nine to five day job. I was a golf course greenskeeper, raking sand traps and mowing grass all day long every day. And I I herniated my disc, uh, actually a couple discs in my back. And it was so bad that, you know, the, the nerve pain and stuff that I was completely bedridden, literally bedridden for a month and a half while I was waiting for this back surgery. Right. And during that time, I I knew that I didn't want to just sit on the couch and watch television and waste that month and a half. I, I saw it as an opportunity to like I'm I'm laying there. I need something to do with my mind. So I might as well learn something. And at that point, I didn't own a camera. I didn't I didn't own I had no background in photography, but I was interested in like kind of the videography side of things. So I started watching tutorials on YouTube and over that month and a half, I watched so much like Digital Rev and like Gavin Hoey and Tony and Chelsea Northrup that I knew how to shoot a manual. I understood the exposure triangle. I, and uh, after I had my back surgery, I got my first camera. And uh, within a year and a half of getting that first camera, uh, photography had gotten to be such an important part of my income and my life that I ended up quitting my J job a year and a half after getting my first camera. And I was like, what, what would I have been? I was probably like 34, 33. So I wasn't, I wasn't a young fella, but, uh, yeah, it just kind of took off for me. Cause it turns out I really liked photography and, and I poured some of that obsessive personality that I have into, into ju just trying to get as good as I could and 
gave up like you know television and social life and everything else that's normally important to a person yeah i gave all that stuff up and i just uh, dedicated it towards getting really good at photography because i loved it and here i am what six years later something like that dude i love that that is such a rad story and that's i mean it, i mean it sounds like you went pretty and like pretty all in to, yeah. to be able to make a transition that quick, it sounds like you just immerse yourself into the space. Do you think that helped you that helped catapult you into what you're doing today? Oh, dude, absolutely. Like they, I always tell people that like the most the most important thing that you can do to get better at something is just to fully immerse yourself. So my idea of a good time was to like tuck my son into bed and then sit down and watch a set of tutorials for the next couple hours. Cause that was just my idea of a good time. And I, I did nothing but, you know, watch tutorials, go out and shoot, make a bunch of mistakes, learn from those mistakes and then repeat. And, um, yeah, I feel like, and this is the soapbox that I tend to get on pretty often, but I feel like people waste so much of their life just watching the accomplishments of others. You know, we sit down, we watch basketball and we're, or we watch a football game. We're like, well, those people are just so amazing. I could never be amazing. But if they took all of that time that they spend just watching, you know, actors or, you know, athletes, if they took all that time and dedicated it towards being good at something themselves, they would, they could do whatever they want. They could be, you know, a professional photographer or whatever, you know, I've, and so for me, like I just kind of gave up a lot of that time and poured it into photography. And it's amazing what a person can accomplish in a short amount of time. If they just dedicate all of that time that they typically waste. Dude, I love that. I think, and I think that can be said for anyone in any space. I think so many people spend so much time on this device stuck oh, on yeah. Instagram daydreaming totally. about, how they wish they could be traveling or wish they could be taking photos or whatever it may be. And it's like, dude, how about you just like stop wishing and take action? Like it's not, yeah. it's not that difficult. Just put a simple plan down. Where are you trying to go? Where are you headed? What it's going to take to get there? Okay, cool. You don't know what the hell you're doing. So that means you need to be watching some tutorials. And when you're not watching tutorials, you should be in the field shooting. And when you're not in the field shooting, you should be post in post-production. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like yourself, that's kind of how I got started uh, in filmmaking was immersing myself into video. All I did was shoot and edit all day, every single day. And within two months, like I was, I mean, I'm, t I'm talking 20, 22 hour days, but after two months straight of shooting like that, I mean, I felt really confident <laughs> behind the camera. Yeah. And I think some people kind of use, you know, the day job uh, and I, and honestly, like there's a lot of people that work really hard and by the time they get to their weekend, they're just, they just want to relax, you know, right. but rather than spending those evenings and those weekends, just like hanging out at home and watching some TV or watching the game and, or playing video games or whatever, rather than spending that time that way, like you, every single weekend you could go out and be shooting, you know, and, and travel can be very expensive and it can be limiting, but it can also be pretty cheap if you dedicate yourself to like sleeping in your car and, and doing it on the cheap, it can be done. But you know, the, one of the advantages that I have is that I live in the Pacific Northwest where I can drive for an hour and be somewhere scenic and awesome. I can go shoot a, a rainforest or a desert in, in an equal amount of driving. 
Um, not everybody has that. So, you know, there is that. But still, people can be going out on the weekends and, and shooting something right. and, and, and pouring that time in that they need to do. I couldn't agree more. I'm so excited to chat with you because you're just – it's not every day. Well, lucky I've been blessed two weeks in a row to sit down with a real solid landscape photographer. And I'm just so curious to get a, a deeper glimpse into you know inside your mind and, and the way you think and the way you approach things. And so with that said, I'd love to just talk a little bit more about photography specific. You know, we'll cover lots of different topics on this podcast. Sure. It's fun to just, you know, talk about various things. But to start with photography in general, like how do you approach a photograph? Like what's going through your mind when you get out of the car and you get to a location? What's going through Nick Page's mind? Usually it's like, well, I'm kind of hungry. And no. <laughs> <laughs> Who's got Cheetos? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where are my Cheetos? And, um, and no, like, so when I, when I walk up to a scene, typically there's a reason I'm in that area in the first place. There's like something about that particular place that I'm at that is unique to that place or that makes that place special. Right. And one of the things that like when I'm teaching workshops, one of the things I'm always telling my participants is like, okay, so if you were going to, Go home and tell your wife about this morning. What would make it into that story? Would you? And you, you know, the story might sound something like, "Oh, we there's these beautiful mountains, and the way the light was hitting those mountains was really nice." And what was cool is we had all these wildflowers, and we were like, you know, and it was just so beautiful. And you know, and the things that typically make it into that story are the things that you should try to fill your frame with. Because a lot of times you're not going to mention, oh, and then there's these power lines in the background. And and I really loved the way that there was, you know, sticks and uh, sticks all over the place that were kind of ugly. And, you know, the, the stuff that makes it into the story, include in your photo, the stuff that wouldn't make it into that story. Try to exclude as much of that stuff as you can, uh, because that's not why you're there. You're not there to photograph the power lines in Southern California. <laughs> you're, you're there to, to photograph, you know, the, the epic Eastern Sierras or whatever. So uh, I try to spend a little bit of time just analyzing, like, why do I want to take a photo here in the first place? And typically I can boil it down to a set of, you know, subjects or things, things that I like. And then I try to exclude everything else. And that that takes the majority of my morning trying to figure out what it is that I want to include and what I like and then figuring out what I don't like, what's getting in the way and what to to exclude. So it kind of starts with that. But another thing that I always tell people is that and you see this a lot with landscape photographers where, you know, they get they get in a technical mindset. OK, OK, I'm going to grab this camera and this lens and I'm going to put it on my tripod and they start thinking about settings and they're they're thinking about their gear. But then they look up and then they're once once they have to go from that technical part, uh, part of their brain to the creative part. They're like lost because they're like, okay, what are we, what are we here to shoot? And they get so lost in the technical that it gets in the way of being creative. So what I encourage people to do is to either just like take their camera, throw it in live view or whatever, and just kind of walk around looking through the LCD screen and just playing around and being creative with different compositions. You can even do it with just your phone, you know, just walk around and like see what a low composition looks like. Let's see what a high composition looks like. Um, see, zoom in, go, go wide. And that way you're being creative and you figure out where you want your composition first when it's really easy to be maneuverable. And then once you find that composition, then figure out a way to get your tripod right where it needs to be. 
rather than starting with the tripod, starting with the technical, then trying to be creative. No, absolutely. And I love that you're talking about moving around. You had said something on a another interview or something, but you said something along the lines of don't let your tripod grow roots. Yeah. <laughs> which so which true, I love. Man. I've never heard that saying. And I, I love that, dude. Yeah. Just put on a damn t-shirt, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yep. but it's true. I, Cause yeah. as soon as you like get set up on a tripod, you set up like the likelihood of you like tweaking it a little bit. Like the only way you're going to tweak it is with the ball head. You know, you're not going to move it much because it, there's something about the tripod that just makes a person lazy. It's true. And oh, yeah. so you got, you got to like eliminate the tripod for a while, figure out all the different possibilities and find that best one, then put the tripod there. Dude, I love it. How do you, for me, a lot of times I relate like landscape photography to hunting. Mm. What do you, I guess, what do you relate landscape photography to? Oh, I don't know. Sometimes, you know, the funny thing about landscape photography for me is like, and this is a whole other subject we're going to enter probably, but like, you know, some people approach it as more documentary where the, you go to a place and you're trying to document how the place looked. Some people are the complete opposite where they, they go there and they just try to recreate what's in their brain. You know, like this, this scene is cool, but what it really needs is some unicorns and a rainbow and a big, <laughs> big Milky Way, whatever. And, and so everybody, when you're a photographer these days, you kind of have to figure out like what lines you're going to cross and which, which lines you're not going to cross. Are you going to be a guy that composites? Are you going to be a guy that doesn't composite? Are you strictly documentary and like a, a super, you know, stickler for that kind of thing? Or are you a little bit lax? And for me, like landscape photography for me is it's almost a way of trying to pretend that the earth is this unspoiled place where people haven't screwed it up yet. <laughs> And that's just how it is in my mind. Like I like to imagine a post-apocalyptic, a post-apocalyptic world where um, it's just pristine nature. And for that reason, I end up photographing a lot of stuff that doesn't include the hand of man. And if there is a hand of man, I usually clone it out. <laughs> and for me, it's like uh, it's almost imagining the world the way I uh, the way I wish it was. Like, what would it be like if it was just this pristine, perfect place? And so for, for that reason, a lot of my photos are not as documentary like because I end up cloning a lot of stuff out just because I don't like power lines and I don't like power poles and I don't like roads and I don't like people and, I, you know, all this stuff. So it's kind of like it's a little bit fantasy land, but at the same time, I'm trying to uh, draw attention to how beautiful that particular place is when you eliminate all of that stuff. Right, dude, I it's. I love the post-apocalyptic perfect world. Like that's the vibe I get. Like the way you, you play with the light and the contrast of the light, it's very dark and moody, but also very dreamy and vibrant and deep yeah. in color at the same time. And it does look like, you know, this is what the world would look like if we just weren't here. It'd just be really beautiful and Right. These places. And it's kind of funny when you talk about like documentary and, and not natural to, you know, like to remove power lines and things like that. But in the same way, it's actually kind of funny because it's like technically this isn't a natural thing. Like I'm taking a yeah. photo of a very natural thing that is here. The power line's only here because we're here. 
exactly so if this removing was taken it at a different time yeah like if, if this was 50 years ago or whatever before that road was built you know this is what it would look like so and like you know i try i'm not per- somebody to like composite i try i don't ever replace a sky or anything but i do like to push a file as far as i dare you know i want to i want to keep it real but i also want it to be stylized and beautiful Mm-hmm. And it's such a gray line to try to walk. You know, some people are really excellent at it. You know, we're talking about Michael Shane Bloom. He's another person that uh, post-processing wise, I really look up to his work because he, he's just awesome at he he stylizes it heavily, but it's not like straight up like fantasy land, like some some landscape photography can get. Right. And so, so I'm always trying to ride that where I want it to be stylized, but I don't want it to be just totally totally fantasy land i'm a huge fan and obviously lots of people around the world are huge fans and and you're killing it in in every way it's really interesting seeing uh you know all the different looks you know you talk about more realistic and like this whole realistic thing i just find so interesting because these colors that you have are so deep and so vibrant and yeah, that may not be exactly how it looked while you were there with the eye, but at the same time, our senses are so goddamn dull, right? At this point, as as human <laughs> yeah. beings, like t- technically, it probably does look a lot like that. Yeah, yeah. Like one of the things <laughs> that I I talk about is like the post processing stage is it's where you take your photograph that you captured with this technical device. And then you try to inject how it felt to be there. You know, post-processing is about injecting some of the feeling, the way that your brain perceived being there. And sometimes, like, if you're in a good mood, you perceive something completely different than if you're just mad and pissed off and, like, you go there and suddenly everything's blue and drab because you're in a bad mood. But when you're happy, like, the light is streaming and the birds are singing and you see all the, you know, the light is warm. And and so – for me, post-processing is trying to get some of how I felt as, you know, a personal feeling back into the photo. And sometimes that means warming up the highlights and giving things a little bit of a happy glow. Uh, sometimes, you know, I this is a totally other subject, but sometimes I'm in a really bad mood and I'm forced to do photography. And I try to inject that back into my photos. For example, when I went to Iceland, I think it was... Uh, Two times ago, it was a year and a half ago or something, um, I flew to Iceland to do a workshop, to lead a workshop. And on during the flight, my mom had died. And so I land in Iceland with the news that mom died. And so here I am. I have to teach this workshop. And so um, for the next week, I led my workshop. But I was in a dark, depressed place. And man, you can, when I look back at those photos, they're all just gray and drab and dark. And I'm, instead of going over and photographing these beautiful wildflowers, I'm over like in the cemetery, taking pictures of headstones. And, and that's some of like the darkest, moodiest, most desaturated photography I've ever done. And it's because I wasn't trying to, um, I wasn't trying to convey an emotion that I wasn't feeling. I was trying to convey the, the, how I was actually feeling. And that comes through in the post-processing. The raw file just, you know, it looks how it looks. But the post-processing is where you start to inject some of some of that brain filter that we're all seeing the world through, you know, because our yeah. brain is totally filtering what we're seeing and how we're seeing it at all times. 
and when you're post-processing, you're trying to recreate some of that, I think. So, yeah. Dude, no, I, I love that. I, I always tell people um, I'm a very emotional creator. I wear my heart on my sleeve. And although I don't post that often on Instagram, I, I have very I have certain feelings towards social media. I am mm-hmm. very active. I love shooting. I shoot a ton. And it's funny when you look at my work, it's clear as day. You can tell my mood. You can tell when I was in a really happy, good mood. You can tell you're like, yo, what were you going through during this time? <laughs> right, exactly. And it's like legitimately, it might be like, oh yeah, that was the week my aunt passed away. And yeah. I was just really upset with the world and angry at this and angry at that. And this is just kind of how I felt. And this is that series of images. And I had a buddy that let me know. He's like, yeah, dude, it's, it's funny. You brought up, you know, being an emotional photographer. He's like, if you look through my feed, practically every single time I've ever posted a black and white, you know, here and there, he's like, if I post a black and white, it pretty much means I'm sad. He's like, I only post yeah. black and white photos when I'm sad. And I yeah. was like, dude, like, and it's but, funny. He's like, now I know. So if I see a photo come through, I'm like, oh, like, let me hit him up and just see how he's doing. It's so true. And, you know, post-processing plays a huge role in that. Because if you look at a, a raw file from a happy day and a sad day, they're going to look the same. It's how you choose to post-process it and the decisions you make in the post-processing that really conveys that feeling and that emotion. Absolutely. And style is like one of those things I was talking with a buddy the other day. Like everyone, everyone loves to talk about style. It's like everyone's favorite question. How do you get, how'd you create your style? How do I create my own style? How do you feel about that? Because I feel like style isn't color. For some reason, everyone is like style is color to them. Like right. your tones is your style. Your presets are style. I don't Sick believe tones, that. Sick tones, bro. I, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me. I'm like your right. style is like your eye. That's the swagger that you can't – that no one else can reproduce is like the way you place your camera, the way you capture a scene, a person, a moment, etc. What's your take on that? You know, I feel like style kind of like in music – like st- your style is whatever you're whatever you're happening to put out at that moment like you're not you're not actually making a bunch of conscious conscious decisions about this is my style right. it's just kind of w- what you're doing at the moment and what's what you're feeling like as a your as essence a mus- exactly my essence your my essence. ever essence <laughs> um like as a musician you know you you most musicians are just like a combination of influences right like i i listen to a little bit of this a little bit of that a little bit of that and you become this kind of melting pot of all the things that you you have as input and then it just comes out as whatever musical style you're playing and i feel like it's the same as uh, same with photography like you have all these different influences and you take a little bit of this from this person a little bit of that from that person you don't consciously do it but all of that is your input and then your output ends up being this like melding of all of how you're feeling the things you choose to shoot and then how you all the influences of the post-processing that you've seen or the you know the types of shots that you've seen but i don't think that even with the best best photographers that they ever heavily think about their style i feel like their style is just what you know they happen to be doing that week and that but but it, it might feel very erratic from from the person's point of view, like, you know, I, this shot is completely different than this shot. You know, my forest photography is completely different than my seascapes. But from the outside looking in, you know, the, people can recognize, you know, a, you know, a Ryan Dyer shot, regardless of what he's shooting, just because of his post-processing style. It, it might feel like he's 
processing completely different. But from the outside looking in, you can still identify those same kind of things because we only change so much, even though it feels like we're changing a lot right. when you're when you're there. And I don't think that anybody really heavily thinks about that. Mm. It just happens, you right. know. Dude, I I think I came up with this great analogy. I think style is kind of like cooking. It's like you have these different meals. So you have steak, chicken, turkey, whatever. Let's just say these different proteins. But how you decide to season them is totally. Yeah. You know, you're going to season everything different. You could season a steak 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 different ways. There's no one way. Most people may do it this way, you know, which <laughs> most people, that could be HDR photography, right? There was a time where most people were just doing it this way. Which is like the cayenne one... pepper of the, yeah. <laughs> the cayenne pepper of the seasoning world. <laughs> like, let's just hit them in the face. Yeah, just <laughs> ghost peppers, ghost. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I love that. So outside of like developing your own creative style, what are ways that, you know, what are ways that I guess you train your eye? Because I believe like as far as creativity goes, the eye is like a muscle. It's kind of like entrepreneurship, yeah. listening, like shutting up and listening to people as a muscle because that's where you discover opportunities. Like people will tell you holes in the market or things that aren't available and then that might birth a new idea. Same thing yeah. with photography, training your eye to to look up, down, left, right, et cetera. Like how do you – do you do anything specific or any advice on training your eye? Um, for me, I feel like my eye gets trained the most when I just utterly fail. You know, when I go to – and when I think about failing, I think about like woodland and forest photography because it's hard. It's just really hard to find good composition. But – I feel like the more times I just completely fail and then I go back and I look through my photos and I'm like, you know, this almost worked, but the rest of them just didn't. And that's, I learn more from those total failures because the next time I go back, I'll, I'll focus on that thing that almost succeeded and then I'll, I'll work on that. And I feel like that's when, that's when I'm actually developing my eyes when I completely fail because anybody can go to a really easy scene, you know, a mountain in the background, a lake in the foreground and a big, beautiful sky. You could walk up with any cell phone and take an awesome shot, but you send a bunch of people with their iPhones into a forest to try to take a good shot. And then suddenly that that's what separates the, you know, the really good photographers from the, like, oh, I just do this for fun. And so for me, like just trying to learn from those failures that and, you know, looking at the work of really accomplished, really good photographers, you know, people that are just excellent at the compositional side of things, the, the art wolves of the world, uh, because the, they have been working on developing their eye for, you know, in his case, like 60, 70 years mm -hmm. and there's so much that you can learn just from the compositional choices because you know, people like Art Wolf, they're not just going around from iconic scene to iconic scene. They're actually photographing some pretty difficult, complex things. And you can look at their work and be like, okay, well, why does that work? Well, what did he, what could he have shot and what did he choose to shoot? And you can learn so much from that. And, and then just try and kind of like, I love throwing it back to music, but kind of like when you're a guitarist learning a song, you go back and you, when you're learning guitar, you don't just automatically start composing your own stuff. Like oh, I'm going to write a song today, right. day two of playing guitar. No, you, you Learn practice notes. smoke on the water or, yeah. you know, somebody else's music and you learn how they, they write a song. And 
uh, through learning that, then you, eventually you can write your own song. And the same is true with photography. You go and you emulate compositions that have worked for other people and compositional ideas that have worked for other people. And then you can start to get a little bit more creative and do your own thing. But you have to kind of learn, uh, go through the steps first, go through, you know, go through the paces first before you can start to do your own thing, I think. Dude, I love that. And to add to that, a lot of times I tell people one of the best things you can do to train your eyes to is to really become a kid again. And so yeah. kids are really curious. If you ever watch, you know, do you have little ones? Yep, I got uh, a nine-year-old. Okay, so you have a nine-year-old. Like when kids are really young, you walk around, like you walk through like a downtown and you watch families and you'll notice that adults, their eye level's always here. Always, mm -hmm. always, always. But kids, dude, they're looking up. They're spinning around. They're looking down. They're just curious. They're just so curious about everything around them. And I think that's one of the best ways to improve your photography is to just become really curious and not get sucked into just one, like just head on a swivel and just be aware and just get used to just looking around out of curiosity for what's around you. And you'll be surprised what you start to discover and what you start yeah. to see and, and, and how your eye starts to develop. Yeah. You know, and when it comes to like photos that are that are compelling and interesting, a lot of times what makes a really interesting photo is one that is taken from a perspective that you don't see every day. So, you know, sometimes that's a super wide angle lens where you're making stretching out the sky and making it big and beautiful or the lines in your foreground. Sometimes it's a macro or a telephoto lens where it's just it, it's just a way of seeing that we're not used to seeing all the time. Therefore, it's like it just grabs you um, quickly. You know, if you take every shot at 35 to 50 millimeters, you're going to have to be much more compelling with your compositional choice just because it's such a normal focal length that it it's going to take a really interesting shot to really grab a person. But a telephoto lens pointed at a mountain suddenly becomes really impactful because that's not how we're used to seeing them. Yeah. So I was talking to Michael about this last week. Now I'm curious. <clears throat> I've noticed that he's been really loving using the telephoto lenses and I don't own one, but I want to get one because it seems like big fun. I've never been a telephoto guy, but it feels, I mean, to be able to go up and I feel like as a landscape guy, you're always, you know, you're always wide for the most part. Yeah. I took an 85 with me to Guatemala and actually had a blast shooting landscape on an 85 millimeter and just, you know, being able to take portraits of these peaks of these volcanoes and get these, you know, these unique focal lengths, but using these long lenses, man, there's so much to see and it allows you just to create these tight compositions and these these unique images that you just don't see and it, it's almost it feels like you're just hunting you just get to go zoom into the scene and it's like how deep into the yeah. scene do you want to go and wh what stories do you want to tell and i don't even know what the hell the question is I guess like, I, I, I guess I'm just stoked on these. Like, what's been your experience, you know, shooting landscapes? I imagine you probably started shooting with a wide angle like most oh, yeah. of us do. And then now that you're leveraging telephoto lenses, what do you like about them? Yeah, I mean, like when I travel, a lot of times that I don't even take that middle focal range. I'll take like a 16 to 35 and a 100 to 400 because those middle focal ranges, I, I have a hard time. Uh, making those very impactful. But what, what I love about a telephoto lens is 
not only are you does it just open up a whole new world because like when you're when you have a big wide view you can just start picking out compositions from miles away which is awesome in itself but the i find that the more i zoom in on a on a on a scene and the smaller the section of the scene that i choose to show the more original that shot's always going to be because the likelihood of somebody standing in the same place that I am and zooming in that far to just that particular little slice of the landscape, the likelihood of somebody else doing that exact thing is so low that it's almost always a more original composition. Like a lot of people will stand there with a wide angle lens and be like, boom, I stood there. But some, but most people won't zoom in with a 400 millimeter lens and, to, and just pull out that little slice. So not only does it make that particular location more fruitful because you're getting different perspectives and multiple shots, but it, it, in a lot of ways, it's a, it's a great way to simplify a shot. You know, if you, if you're talking about that story that you're going to go home and tell your wife about the location, uh, if all the most interesting stuff is back in that location, it's really easy to eliminate all of those things that wouldn't have made it into the story. If you're zooming in that tight mm -hmm. and it's so awesome when you get, you know, dramatic, dramatic mountains, or in my case, one of the things I like to photograph are waves. And when you're shooting a seascape and zooming in really tight to just the action in that water and in that wave, you're capturing not only a moment in time, but a, just a tiny slice of that moment where you can really amplify all the details and make it really big and impactful for the person looking at the shot. Dude, no, absolutely. I, I love your wave shots immensely. And another thing I think that's cool about the long lenses is, is it really adds depth to, especially like if you're doing these slideshow posts, like I love, so when I shoot video, I love to have wide shots, you know, for establishment. I like to have the medium yep. shots to get a feel for that. But then I also love the really tight and then the macro shots. Like I want to take people from this is where you're at to into the scene, yeah, to the straight absolutely. mushrooms and the ants walking across the forest floor and then back out to the sky, you know? Yeah, that's and, I, awesome. and I think that's what's cool about tele telephoto lenses, like adding that to your, your gear bag and be able to take a wide angle and then throw some tighter shots. And I think it helps paint if you are presenting it in, you know, an album format where you're showing three, four, five, six, seven images. It's really cool to, to bring people into the story. And I think it helps you craft a... Uh, a more immersive story. And I enjoy viewing photos like that where people, you know, they're not seven wide angle shots. Right. They kind of gradually take me in or out, which is kind of neat. Yeah. And another thing, another big impact it has on a shot is the sense of scale. Mm -hmm. So like you, you photograph a big impressive mountain with a 16 millimeter lens, it looks small and cute. Right. But if you zoom in really tight on a big impressive mountain like that with a long focal length, it looks big and impressive again, especially if you include something for scale, like a little tree or a person or something. It the the compression effect that you get with that long focal length, it it brings that sense of enormity. Is that a word? <laughs> enormity. It is, it is now. It is now. It brings the enormity back into whatever you're shooting. Do you mind speaking on compression a little bit? It's yeah. It's a it's a word that a lot of people toss around. And a lot of younger people that don't necessarily understand what compression actually is. And I think they're just, it's just, it's kind of like a, a new buzzword in the photography right. space. And I'd, I'd love for you to just educate the listeners a little bit on what exactly compression is and what you mean by compression. Well, so like when you zoom in with a long focal length, the, the way that the different layers within the, within the image, let's picture a forest scene. 
Uh, let's say you walk up right up close to a tree and you shoot that with a 16 millimeter lens. The, whatever's close to the camera is going to look huge and whatever's back far away is going to look small. But then as you scoot back, you know, walk backwards and then zoom more and more in, it's going to have the effect of compressing it all together. Those background trees are going to get bigger and and closer feeling and the foreground trees are going to look more proportionate to what's in the background. So if you scoot way back and you zoom in with a 400 millimeter lens, they all appear to be compressed together and everything is the same size. It's all proportionate as opposed to the 16 millimeter lens where whatever's close is really big and everything that's back in the background is really small. So that, that's kind of the, the, the thought process of compression. And if we take that same analogy where you have a big mountain in the background and like, you know, a person standing, you know, back away from the camera in the mid ground with a wide angle lens, that person's going to look almost as big as the mountain. But if you scoot way, way back and then zoom way in, the person's going to look small like they are mm -hmm. and the mountain's going to look huge like it is. So that's kind of the thought of compression. Dude, I love it. That was so eloquent. Jesus. I do. I was pretty sure you put me on the spot and I was about to say some nonsense, but I mean, it came out all right. <laughs> that was good. That was really good. I was like, I was curious. I'm like, people get a little caught up on this sometimes, you yeah. know? And I was like, I was like, I feel like Nick will handle this question well. And did you described it really well? And I think anyone listening will be stoked to finally understand what the hell they're, they're talking about <laughs> when they say compression, because most of them don't. And that makes me really happy that you just explained it so eloquently. That's, yeah. You can almost picture like the horror movie, right? Where there's that awful moment where the person's standing in the hall and then they see the scary thing at the end of the hall. And then they do the, what, what do you call that? The slide zoom or whatever, where they start close to the camera where the person's big and then they, yeah. they slide back on a slider, but while zooming in and then the, the background becomes like big yeah, or small. Parallax. parallax. There you go. That, that is essentially your, all you're seeing is the difference in focal length with compression, but in a smooth like shot with like a scared looking kid, look, <gasps> You know, it's it, that that's totally that's totally the compression. Thing. Exactly. I love getting those shots on my I utilize my one wheel with my 28 oh, nice. to 135 cinema lens and it has a power, oh, yeah. has a power zoom. And so I'll be backing up on my one wheel as I zoom in really slowly. And it's just such a trippy just like, yeah. Just, it's yeah, just really adds trippy. that sense like, of like anxiety. It like, does. Oh. It's like, what's happening? Like, yeah, uh, it's a great way to build anticipation, man. Who inspires you? We, you've talked about a few guys, but I figured I might as well ask, and because I know there's probably some other guys you'd like to mention. Yeah, you know, love Michael Shane Bloom. Of course, who doesn't? Everybody likes Michael Shane Bloom. I really admire the. I, there's, you know, there's some photographers that, that it's not so much the. I, I just love the tastefulness of some as some photographers like in their post-processing because right now there's a lot of really heavy handed post-processing <laughs> and yeah. I, I really admire the people that are a little bit more re restrained and, but stylized. So, you know, Aaron Bobnick is a great example of somebody. She, her work is just incredible and her post-processing is just spot on every time. David Thompson is another guy. David Thompson awesome photographer out of the, out of Vegas and his post-processing is just beautiful. Alex Noriega, another awesome photographer. They, there's kind of this like little group of, of photographers that are just awesome at that, that 
stylized yet not overdone post-processing. And those are kind of some of the people I look up to for that. Other photographers that I really admire, Art Wolf, who doesn't like Art Wolf. There's um there's some photographers that specialize in just wave photography. People like the Clark Littles and yep. and oh dude, I'm gonna space out on some names. I should have looked this up, but we'll put links in the show notes. How about that? Yes. This is always a good cop out when you forget something. I'm trying but to pull one up for you. Um, I think I know who you're talking about. There's a, there's the Warren Warren Keenan Keelan Warren yep. Keelan. Yep, that's his name. Yep, and Rachel Rachel Talibart. She's another great wave photographer. I love I love photographers that are just really good at capturing the power and the abstract nature of waves. And yeah, I just love that type of work because it's so different and creative. And and I know the amount of work and failure that goes into capturing that stuff. It's hard. Dude. And people that are really good at it, they're very dedicated. And I love that. Dude, they're so dedicated. I, like you. So Warren Keelan, I, I finally pulled him up. He, he and I have been chatting. He sent me a oh, number, nice. so we're going to get him on get him on the podcast. Awesome. Because uh, I had his buddy MGV on, who's another surf, surf wave photographer. And, dude, I mean, these guys are up at the crack of dawn before sunrise, yep. swimming out, cold water. Like, I mean, it's it's a lot. Like, dude, these guys are really earning those shots. They're not, you know, pulling up, getting out of their car. And, right and zinging these, sitting on their back bumper like they yeah. get a photo with a coffee in their hand they're like in dry suits and and man clark little has this this little behind the scenes clip of how he gets some of his wave curls you know it, for those listening they, they what these guys will do is they'll at sunrise or sunset they'll go out during a big surf event and then they'll get these shots of the wave curling and then looking at the sunset through the curl, so the curl is like framing this beautiful light in the background. But the the way that he gets that is he gets right on the edge of the shore where they're, they're curling, and then he'll run and he'll dive underneath the wave as it's falling on him. And if you've ever been in big waves like that, that's like right where you don't want to be because they just like slam you down to the Crush. sand and get pummeled every time. And he just does it over and over with this underwater housing and. It's impressive stuff because that's hard. You, you know, just shooting with a you know, underwater housing is kind of tricky because you got to keep it clean and all that. And it's much respect to those guys. That's awesome and it's beautiful and it's creative. I love it, dude. So do I. It's exactly for all those same reasons, man. It's just it's fantastic. It's really great to see. Speaking of over editing. Another analogy, the over editing is like you go to someone's house for dinner and you're really hungry and you're stoked and then you sit down and there's just, they, someone poured the salt on and <laughs> yeah, you're just like, exactly. holy cow, this looks so, this is so much salt. And that's kind of how I feel yep. with some of these edits. And it's funny because on Instagram, the fact that the images are such low resolution, you can actually get away with it. Um, yep. But I've noticed like when we launched our app, one of the things that. I loved about it is the, the fact that we don't compress the images. And so what I started noticing when I would blow up when I would click the image and blow up all of a sudden I'd start giggling to myself and just be like, Holy cow. Like he's kind of tacky at editing. And you just yeah. see, you see that you can clear as day. You see where the brush, where they were brushing, you see the lines, you see the, like, and it's, it's kind of funny. It's like, wow. Like you don't see this stuff on Instagram, but I can see it clear as yeah. day. Now that, that I'm looking at a high resolution image, I can see that th this is actually a pretty sloppy edit. Yeah, that's the that's the thing that is bad about, you know, the the Instagram age that we're in is that 
you know, the final result that most people see your photo is going to be so small on somebody's phone, especially if it's a horizontal composition, mm -hmm. uh, that I think a lot of people are editing with that in mind. The fact that eh, it doesn't have to be good. It doesn't even, it doesn't have to be perfect and it doesn't even really have to be that great. They just quickly throw it together and slap it up, slap, slap it up. <laughs> That's actually a good pun. Um, <laughs> slap it up on Instagram and nobody will know the difference, but and then the other side of it is like I edit every photo like it's going to be on somebody's wall. You know, I I take my try to take my time. I make sure that all the imperfections are gone, and then I put it up on Instagram and can't you can't even tell all the work to put into it. And it's kind of like oh, it's always deflating. Uh, but that's what I like about uh, the the Art of Visuals app is that quality is so much better. And the, the, the fact that you can zoom in on shots, it reveals that stuff. And, and you, as a result, you have better photos rising to the top. And I like that. Yeah, absolutely. Since I have you, bro, there's so much I want to, I have so many questions for you. <laughs> what do you think? I'm curious. What do you think is trendy right now? Like, what do you think is something, what are a few things in the space that you think are happening right now that are trends and that are going to go away if not they're already starting to slowly phase out well because i've seen a lot of trends personally yep. just i've been i've been doing this stuff most of my life but seriously since you know 2010 2011 and i've seen a lot change you know mm -hmm. over the years i think uh the art of the epic selfie i think that's definitely the, one of the things that is trendy right now and will finally go out of out of popular there there's actually an account called uh wilderness influencer have you ever heard of it and no, I basically <laughs> basically it, the guy he found a little tiny action figure figurine and then he dressed him up like a wilderness influencer with like a orange columbia jacket and like <laughs> little beanie and stuff and he just basically it's just making fun of people that take adventure selfies everywhere they go i, I love it <laughs> And it's hilarious. It's it's one of the best follows on Instagram. But uh, I feel like that is just – they go to the same places that everybody else goes and then just stand in their shot and try and put some kind of stupid inspirational quote on it like, you know, whatever. And I feel like that will go away because it's just so – everybody – if everybody does it, it must not be original. And if everybody does it, it won't be cool for long. Mm. I, I think that's one of the most most glaring things that I think is a trend right now. That and just the amount of outdoor activity in general. I, another thing is like just the amount of people that go out and go to all these places with their phones is incredible. And in some places, like in the Pacific Northwest, it's it's kind of it's unsustainable. You know, some of the some of my favorite places are getting closed down just because of the amount of traffic and the amount of people that go there and they're not prepared for the, the trail or the conditions and they end up falling and getting hurt. And then the trails get closed or all the moss that made a particular area beautiful in the first place gets trampled and is the area is no longer beautiful. So I think, um, I think right now ag outdoor activity is more popular and more trendy than it's ever been. And I think it is just a trend. And I think that that will eventually fade off at least a little bit from where it is right now. Absolutely. That's interesting, dude. I, I appreciate that insight. I like you definitely think the adventure selfie thing is, is going to go away. And I think that's already 
starting yeah. to you know slowly starting to happen it's still there but yeah i think it's just it just gets old like people like i know i'm tired and sadly i feel like i helped pioneer some of this stuff but... <laughs> <laughs> right well uh, you and max rive max yeah. rive pretty much like inv- i don't know if he invented it but he perfected the epic selfie standing on mountain peaks and yeah and, and stretching it all out and making it look Big. Oh yeah, little people, <laughs> big landscape, like just exactly. that whole, whole thing, and uh, I think it was fun, and it was all, it was it all was great. A good time. Yeah, it was a good time. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good time. <laughs> I mean, I think people are just landscaped out, to be honest. Like, I think yeah. that's all they see, and I think you're gonna start seeing. I think you're gonna still see people posting the landscapes. I think they're gonna be getting outdoors less, and they're gonna yeah. be just shooting a lot more of their everyday life and hanging out with friends and like real photography. Like, hey, yeah. like. You know, you can use your camera just to like shoot your friends at a barbecue and that's okay to actually put on your Instagram. If, exactly. it's, if it's a good photo, you know, and has a narrative yeah. and you have a, like, it's like, I don't see anything wrong with that. And yeah, just and, take that inspirational quote from the adventure selfie and throw it on the barbecue photo and yeah. it'll be a hit, you yeah. know, <laughs> <laughs> but it's so true. It's so true. Yeah. So it'd be, what about, what about technology? Like, where do you see that? Like, there's so much happening in the space right now. You have... You know, Sony just passed, you know, Nikon up for mirrorless yeah. camera cells. You have Canon with, you know, second year in a row of declining camera cells. You have companies like Red that are releasing, you know, they're moving into the mobile space. And then you have the your regular Google and Nokia and Apple continue to invest into camera technology and moving deeper into that space. There's a lot happening right now. Oh man. yeah. Like what are you what are you feeling? What are you seeing? Like what are some of your thoughts on the future of just the space, the technology and where things are headed? I think uh artificial intelligence is gonna play a bigger and bigger role all the time. You know, they I I think that eventually there there will be programs that just edit photos for you. Like and you might even see that in a camera. You know, you you might see in a camera where you can change your picture profile and it'll be like epic landscape photo and it'll take your raw file and convert it into this epically edited landscape shot, you know, and you might start seeing that in cameras eventually or or just in phones. That, that could be a thing in a phone. I think phones are going to continue to get better and better. And the incentive for getting that thousand to three thousand dollar camera is going to go down and down. It's just going to slowly level out. I still think that there'll the really serious photographers will always have some kind of dedicated camera camera just mm-hmm. because of things like focal length and sensor size. You're always going to be able to do more. But the artificial intelligence in phones and in entry-level cameras is going to get better and better. Also in the software, too. I think that um, programs are going to continue to come out that will make editing easier than it's ever been, which is going to make photos both better and more obtainable. And it's going to, I, I just feel, feel like the, mm-hmm. the, the difference between the super serious pro, I travel the world full time and edit photos full time. The gap between that person and just the casual enthusiast is going to close and continue mm-hmm. to close and, and for better or for worse, you know, like there's going to be a lot of photographers and, and they're, they're all going to be creating pretty good photos. I think. I love everything you said. I had an interesting talk with the buddy yesterday and I was, I was getting a little wild with my ideas, but I'm like, dude, this, this sounds like 
I could totally see us moving in this direction. Like right yeah. now we're, we live in the technical, like, especially with video, it's like very technical right now. I've noticed like a lot of these new filmmakers, I'm stoked, dude. They're creating great, beautiful visuals, but they're very technical. There's no story. It's just technical. It's like, Hey, look how clean my shots are. Look yeah. how good my transitions are. Look how good my coloring is. And that's like, Hey, that's great. Soon that's not going to matter because everyone's going to be able to do that. There's yep. software programs that literally can just create that where it's going to matter is the performance. Yeah. All of a sudden, everyone Suddenly in the world, can, everyone, matters. yeah, all everyone <laughs> yeah. in the world can take phenomenal photo photos. Just like you said, the pro and the amateur, that gap closes. Everyone can take great photos. Everyone can shoot great video. Mm -hmm. Can you act? Can you create good content? Can, are you creative? Are you entertaining? Are you interesting? Are you? And then that's, yeah. I see that being the next big renaissance is it's no longer about these guys and the devices. It's about the people. And yeah. it's more about the theatrical aspect of storytelling. And can you tell a story and things like that? So it's, it's so interesting. And even on the software AR side, I mean, you have Instagram where I can put my face up to the screen and it, you know, all of a sudden it puts me in space or a rainbow. Right. I That's can see crazy. with video. I'm like, dude, with video, I, dude, you don't need Hollywood sets. Like with AR, I could probably buy pre-made sets. I could be filming Nick on my a seven R three and go to like my pre-made AR profiles and put yep. Mars. And all of a sudden I don't even need a green screen. All of a sudden Nick's standing on Mars and it looks phenomenal. Yeah. And, and if and, a and phone just, can do that, you know, just imagine what a dedicated program could do in a few years, you know? Exactly. So it's, it's interesting. We'll see where all, this, yeah, where all this yeah. goes, but uh, I think it's exciting because we've seen what happened in the last, the last surge in technology where a lot of old school photographers didn't really make the switch. They didn't, you know, they were more stubborn and decided not to come into the yep. digital world and, and, and mirrorless and whatever. And a lot of those guys are hurting now. And so it'll be interesting to see who stays agile as things change. And the whole space is just, it's just so interesting right now. The world's in a crazy place, dude. For sure. For yeah. sure. It's crazy. It's, it's cool times. And people have been saying that for the past five years, like right now is like the, you know, the, the high tide. <laughs> And now it's like, no, no, seriously, right now is the high tide. And I don't think cameras, like, I, I feel like uh, sensor technology and stuff, it's going to start to plateau. It's pretty but where you're gonna, Yeah, but where you're going to start to see the improvement is all the other stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, the processing that goes behind all the photos and video. Well, you're seeing it with, the, like, the Sony cameras. Like, dude, these yeah. firmware updates. Yeah, Like, insane. Exactly. Like, I've never had a Canon camera just... Hey, bud. suddenly be hey. better with a free update. Hey, yeah. Prince, I'm I've I've been upgraded, and here's all the new things that I can do now. And you're like, exactly. Wait, what? This is That's the awesome. best camera ever. It's like fucking driving a Tesla, you know? Totally true. Uh, <laughs> totally true. <laughs> so I'm curious what your why is behind your photography and why you do what you do. You know. That's actually a question I've been asking myself. <laughs> I don't I don't know that I have like I love photography and I'm kind of an example of what happens when your passion and your hobby turns into your job and then you do the same thing all the time and then you're like, well, now what? <laughs> you know, cuz I'm I'm right now I'm kind of in that soul searching place where I'm I'm trying to find a deeper reason for doing what I do rather than just traveling the world taking pretty pictures since 2015 or whatever, you know, and and, uh, you know, some of the people that have some of the most longevity, they have really solid 
things that they're doing with their photography. They're, they're making a change. They're making a difference. And right now all I'm making are tutorials and, and that's kind of, honestly, that's one of the things that I'm searching for right now is I'm trying to find my, my deeper why. Cause you know, if you're going to dedicate your life to something, you want, you want to leave some kind of mark. And I think the only mark I'm leaving is like on Instagram and that that's kind of empty. Right? right. So, so honestly that I'm kind of in that soul searching place right now. I don't have a why just yet uh, other than I like to help people get better. And I, I like to see the growth in the people that I've been teaching for a while. Uh, but I need, I need something in addition to that. And I'm working on that. Yeah. It's, it's really good. I'm happy to hear that you're aware of that yep. and that you're, you're spending time trying to understand what your why is. I disagree with the fact that, you know, your legacy right now would be Instagram. I think your leg, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? You're in one of those yeah. roles where dude, you have no idea how many people you actually help. It's like one of those awkward things. Like, and I, and I know how you feel because I feel the same way. And it's one of those yeah. things. It's like, I do all this stuff. And sometimes I don't really know. I'm like, dude, am I really making a difference? And then all of a sudden I get DMs from these people yeah, that are like, hey, your true. podcast did this for me. Or yeah, I listened to this episode or I watched you talk on that or I listened to this or like your tutorial, whatever it may be, has helped me out so much. And then that's when you're like, this is why I do what I do. Like it's, yep. it's like I forget that it's so it's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than us. It's so much bigger. There's so many kids that are getting inspired. And, and these are and the people that reach out to, you know, those are the only the people that actually have the courage or the time to slow down to say, Hey, thank you. Just yeah. wanted you to know, think about how many other people out there don't, you know, and they feel the same way. They're like, dude, I love this guy, Nick page. He motivates me. I've learned so much, blah, blah, blah. But they may not necessarily say that to you. They may be thinking that. They may be talking to their friends about it. You may never hear it because that's just kind of the society that we live in. Yeah, and that's, that's why true. for me, I've made it one of my goals is like when people make an impact on me, I really do my best to, to tell them because I think it's so important. It's like, hey, man, just so you know, you said something two weeks ago that really made an impact on me. And I'm now like I'm now leading a different life you know i've changed up some things and i just wanted to thank you for that just and so you, you know just that's so a you know. that's a good message is like i don't think that people reach out with those those positive thoughts that they have often enough because you know when when somebody like you or i gets that just kind worded email saying hey nick just wanted to let you know that i really appreciate blah 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 those little tiny short one sentence emails are some of those are the things that make my day better every time and a lot of us have those thoughts, but we never take the time to like, just reach out with them. And I think, you know, that's something that we could all be better at because the more positivity you spread around just the better everything is. Right. That fuels the fire, dude. I, I think it's so important. Like think about this. It's a team and the feedback loop needs to be a closed feedback loop. If your people that are engaging with your content genuinely give you their feedback, their heartfelt like, hey, man, this is awesome. Thank you so much. All that does is feel you. You get so much yeah. energy from that. You come home fired up. You're like, I'm going to dude. I'm gonna record. I'm going to interview five people today. today. I'm going to do five podcasts today. I want to yeah. talk. Like you're just fired so up true. because like you, you like, dude, people are really vibing with my content and it's really helping people and I mean, that's how I feel, at least, dude. I get energized. I'm like, dude, I need to hear from you guys. Like, that's, dude, that 
feels the fire and just gives me, I feel more power and I like want to go out and do more. And then I'm like, how can I up the ante? How can I touch yeah. more hearts? How can I get in front of you guys? And you know, totally and true. I think it's a beautiful process. Cool. With that said, I, uh, I know we're getting tight on time here. And so <laughs> I could talk to you. I could talk to you forever. I'm going to have to bring you back on the show. Yeah, uh, dude, I would love to. But the way we like to end the podcast is, is more or less with our guests leaving the AOV community with some some words of wisdom, advice, inspiration, motivation. Uh, so with that said, you can think about it. And whenever you're ready, feel free to take the mic and deliver some some love. The best advice I could give anybody, and we kind of hit on it early on in the show, is that you know you have to immerse yourself. Like people can accomplish, they can do anything that they set their mind to, especially with photography and videography, because you don't have to be tall. You don't have to be good looking. You don't have to be smart. <laughs> you do, I mean, if I can do it, you can do it. And that's the thing is the only thing getting in your way with achieving your creative goals is yourself. And that's one of the things that I loved so much about photography is the only thing getting in my way or that could get in my way was my own laziness. And so if you give up some of that time that you're wasting on, by, by just uplifting the accomplishments of others and work on the accomplishments of yourself and pour, invest some of that time back into yourself and what you, it is that you're passionate about, you can do anything. And especially with photography and videography, just pour some time and dedication into your craft and you will get better guaranteed. And that's, that's one of the biggest things that I can tell anybody is just put, to invest some of that time that you're wasting back into yourself and you'll get better guaranteed. Nick page, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. It was fantastic. No problem. Thanks for having me on. And, uh, it's been good talking to you, dude. Always, man. Be sure to, to check out Nick's Instagram. It's Nick Page Photography on Instagram. Just like it sounds, no trickiness there. Just Nick Page, <laughs> P-A-G-E, photography. And so uh, make sure to give him a follow and check out his awesome, amazing work. And be sure to subscribe to the show and stay tuned for the next episode.